Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our new guest host, Cindy. How are you doing today, Cindy? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, as always. So, uh, Cindy comes to us with a background in, in healthcare policy, a uh, bit of anthropology mixed in, some fundraising, a bunch of exchanges around um, in her, in terms of her career. But uh, yeah, what would you say that you're up to these days, Cindy? Uh, well, these days I'm actually in my last year of my master's program at the University of Toronto. I'm in the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation, that is in healthcare. Um, and I'm specifically in the area of health policy. So I kind of ended up going that route. And um, my thesis right now focuses on the interoperability, so the connectiveness, uh, the connectivity, excuse me, of uh, electronic medical records in Ontario. So that's what I'm up to these days. And I'm also a research assistant at um, a few hospitals in downtown Toronto. Sounds good. So very active in the healthcare side of things. And uh, we'd love to rewind and learn a little bit more of what you were like as a kid. So do you have any early fond childhood memories that, that you'd want to share? What were you like growing up? Um, I would always say I was a very academically inclined little child. Um, okay. I was always very inquisitive. Uh, so I remember being very, very young and just not really knowing what it meant, but always telling my parents and my friends and my parents' friends and just being very self-determined and saying, when I grow up, I'm going to be a scientist. Like I'm going to be a researcher. Which is funny looking back on it now because I had no notion of what I, what I was saying as a four-year-old. Um, I I was always very scientifically inclined, so I, I had a little sandbox and I would often try to bury rocks under it and then like dig them up um, a couple weeks later to see if they had changed, which obviously, you know, rocks take millions of years to change. And I know that now, but as a four-year-old, I was like, I wonder if there's a difference uh, within like a week or two, things like that. Uh, other things I would do that were very scientifically inclined was often um, I would walk around with a little um, tweezer and I had this like little magnifying glass and these like little, um, what is it called again? I forget. Um, those microscopes that you use to like analyze things under. So if I would ever find like a little bit of hair or something, I would like try to look under it. So I was always very inquisitive, very scientifically inclined, and I was always very self-determined as a child as well. I don't know if my like science background that I loved having so much kind of came from the fact that I spent most of my childhood growing up at sick kids because I was a sick kids kid. Uh, I don't know if it came from there or if it was just like my nature itself. So a bit of a nature versus nurture deba- debate going on here. Um, but that's mostly who I was as, as a child, like very scientific, very inquisitive, uh, always trying to test theories and see if they would work and things of that nature. Yeah. So it sounds like a very, very curious kid, oh, not unlike most kids out there trying to figure out things and yeah, seeing if they can kind of change the world or figure out how things work. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about like being a sick kid's kid, because that must have had quite a bit of an impact on, on you growing up and whether nature versus nurture, who knows, but uh, if you can share a little bit more of how that might have uh, nurtured you, <laughs> if, if it wasn't the nature part. So how was uh, that experience uh, part of the, the influences in terms of where you ended up? Yeah, so um, it was a bit strange growing up because 
in my area, it was predominantly a very much an immigrant area. So it was, there was a lot of Portuguese, Italian kids, like American kids, pretty much my area of Toronto. And so I was one of the few, if only kids, uh, with a very complex medical history. So mm. often it was a bit isolating, but I didn't necessarily care because I was like, well, this makes me unique. And so it always had that that impact on me. Um, but also in terms of the the kind of more negative impact it had on me was I learned the skill of self-advocacy from a very young age of, mm. hey, I, I need this or I need that or I need this accommodation in class or whatever the case may be. So that's kind of how that shaped me a little bit. And in terms of science, I will say that it definitely did nurture me into being more scientific right. because I, often I would hear from doctors, oh, we can't really understand. We don't know why this is going on. Later on, they ended up figuring it out. But from a very young age, they could never really understand because I would show what often many scientists were referred to as, as like um, non-traditional or unconventional symptoms. So the rare symptoms. Right of the chronic illness that I have. So they could never put two and two together. So often I would almost gain an interest uh, in what they were saying and try to understand, obviously as a kid, you know, trying to understand the medical doctor, which is night and day difference. Um, but I would also, I always try to understand a little bit what they were trying to tell me or try to engage in those conversations because A, I had developed the skill of self-advocacy so well and B, just to try to understand my own condition better uh, and try to see, try to move things forward. Uh, uh, not saying that my parents didn't do that. They definitely did. But that was kind of just how I immersed myself a little bit instead of kind of being down in the dumps and being like, you know, kind of kicking myself while I was down and asking like, why was I born this way? And not to say that those questions didn't cross my mind every now and then, but I, I took that and I redirected it into a more positive sense of let me try to learn more. Let me try to be even more scientifically inclined than I already am. Let me try to nurture this part of me uh, and see where it takes me and see kind of what road I can go down with this, uh, whether it's for my own self-interest or to help others. Yeah, it sounds like the case of trying to turn uh, lemons into lemonade, that sort of thing, where uh, making the most out of a, a challenging situation and that helping you nurture that scientific curiosity because, hey, I, I'd love to know what's going on with me so that I can uh, ha have a better life and, and not have these, uh, I guess, these uniquenesses <laughs> that that are, are a little bit different than everyone. Because as a kid, most people want to fit in. And I'd love if you share a little bit about that, that self-advocacy part, because I think that is something that a lot of people should learn. I mean, there should probably be a course in school <laughs> about how to do that, because it's a skill that as, as kids, I mean, we're told what to do, right? And for us to self-advocate on what's important, not just every little thing, but uh, it's, it's an important skill. So would you be able to share like a, a couple of examples on kind of that self-advocacy, maybe even like the first time you, you learn how to do it, if, if you can even recall that, uh, but share a little bit about the, that, that journey to become uh, a little bit better at self-advocacy. Yeah. So um, growing up, because of my medical issues, and they're mostly gastrointestinal related, so GIs, and I think stomach, things like that. Um, so I always knew that there was a sl slight set of rules that I had to abide by in terms of to make my quality of life better. So in the past, when I was younger, my mom would always do the self-advocacy for me. She would pull the teacher aside and say, hey, Cindy, throughout the school year, we'll need these, these, and these supports. And that was the end of that. But by having me very much engaged in the conversation. So I would always be very much present when my mom would pull teachers aside when I was younger, like 
think grade one, two, obviously at that age, you know, there's not really much advocacy going on there. But as I got older into grades four, five, six, definitely seven, my mom put the responsibility on me and said, okay, now you're going to try this. You're going to advocate for yourself and you know what you need. You've seen me talk about it. And now you're just going to pull the teachers aside. If something does happen, just let me know and we'll figure it out. But I think just um, having my mom's support like that and being involved in the conversations, albeit it's very draining for a child. I'm not going to sit here and lie. And, you know, because most kids, they just kind of go, okay, and they have no worries in the world. So I had a bit of extra worries, I will say that. But it's a good skill that I picked up because I was able, by the time I was 9, 10, 11 years old, I was able to say, hey, just pulled teachers aside very respectfully and say, hey, these are the things that I need to be successful in class. And and for us to have a great year together as like, a, you know, teacher and student. Um, but these are all my, this is my condition. These are all the things that I need. And that skill actually ended up being very valuable to me. Um, more specifically in university, because I did end up getting signed up, signed up with accessibility services. And so one of the things they usually make you do is um, they, they'll print out your accommodation form, which just says your accommodations on there that you need to be successful in the course, not so much what your chronic illness is. I wouldn't care if it said it. I'm I'm pretty open, so I, to me, it doesn't even bother me. So I, I had no problem going up to the professor and being like, hi, here's a physical <laughs> copy of my accessibility form. If you want, I can email this to you. Um, I would also be very happy to set up a meeting if you want more information. So I already had that skill well into adulthood when I started university as an 18 year old, 19 year old. So I, I would, I do completely agree with you that self-advocacy should be something we teach in schools because in a weird sense, like we all end up with some sort of condition, you know, even if it's something as quick and easy, quote unquote, or something very fixable as breaking a leg, like sure. you're going to need an accommodation for either work or school or both if you break a leg or you're going to need time off. So I do think it's a very important skill to, um, highlight and to nurture and foster, whether it be in school or throughout life, because a lot of people, um, you know, because they don't go through things that I have or other people like myself have, where in childhood we've had to develop that skill. A lot of times, you know, people when they're older or adults or teenagers, when they do th go through, unfortunately, certain like health catastrophes, they don't know how to advocate for themselves. And sometimes, you know, they're lucky where it's a fixable problem like a broken leg, but other times it's something more chronic and long-term and they don't know mm -hmm. how to deal with it. So, yeah, I do think self-advocacy should be very much taught in schools Yeah, in a very positive sense. For sure. And and sometimes it's not a matter of like an accommodation because something's wrong. Sometimes people uh, perform in, in different environments better than, than others. So even saying, hey, if you put me in this situation, I'll do way better than that situation. Well, that helps your 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 leaders, your managers, the people around you, put you in the best place to succeed. Now, that doesn't mean you'll only ever have those, but if you want the best out of me as as a, a team member, then th that's what you can help with. So, uh, and and it sounds like that you learned the skill of self advocacy through through your through your mom, which is great that she slowly and gradually put that on you. So maybe we'll we'll somehow figure out how to do that in the the school system <laughs> or trying to put that in as as a skill for folks to learn. And I'd love if we went a little further. So. You, you've grown up with this condition, you're self-advocating. And uh, when, I guess in, in grade school or high school, like, did you always know you wanted to get to healthcare? I know you did a degree in anthropology with 
which is not quite healthcare, <laughs> and then you end up more on the sort of policy side. So how did that uh, journey happen in terms of like uh, transitioning from, let's say, high school to, to university and, and, and making the decisions on, on how to take your career path? Yeah, so in high school, I was a little, I was on a different path. So long story short, I always knew I wanted to go to U of T. Uh, again, very self-determined child. Very, I was one, always one of those people that was very sure of herself. Um, so growing up, I, especially throughout high school, I kind of always knew I want to go to UST, hopefully, and, uh, potentially do a double major without really knowing that U of T kind of, especially in its undergrad course, forces you to do a double major or a major in a double line or things of that nature. So without really knowing, I was like, I'm going to do a double major. And at the time in high school, I wanted to do it in immunology and health policy or health studies as it's known in the downtown campus. So I always had that background in health policy because I was like, well, you kind of need to mix the the art and the science of it. You know, what good is all this technology and all this information if you don't have policy to kind of, I guess you could say, put all that information and technology that you do um, create and end up discovering and you put it out into the public. One example I always give is you know, what good is all the healthcare technology we have if people can't access it? That was my favorite example to give out. So I kind of always knew I wanted to do a double major, but I wanted to go into more of a hard science. However, um, and this kind of goes back uh, to self-advocacy. So throughout high school, I slowly realized that a lot of the accommodations that I needed in class were not the same that I needed in high school. And I didn't know this until university and I performed so much better. And it goes back to the comment that you made where sometimes it's beyond just an accommodation. Accommodation, It's putting someone in an ideal uh, situation where they're going to perform better. And so I was taking all the science classes like biology, chemistry, physics. Why did I do that to myself? <laughs> it's still, still traumatic to think about to this day. Um, but things like that. And I remember a lot of the teachers I was doing all right, but I was not necessarily thriving. I think the science class I thrived in the most was biology, not so much chemistry or physics. Like I really did struggle in those areas and I didn't have the advocacy skills there. I kind of lost them throughout high school to say, hey, um, I need ongoing tutoring. I would get a tutor here and there and it would help, but I didn't have that like ongoing tutoring to help help me. Uh, with the material that I wasn't understanding. Uh, the fact that I do have a chronic illness, so it means you miss a lot of days of school, which is fine in elementary school where you can kind of catch up. In high school, it's a lot harder to catch up. So you combine those two things together and you kind of have a little bit of a rest disaster. So that was kind of me throughout high school. I was struggling quite a bit. And I remember at one point, because I was struggling so much, um, I was, again, doing all right, but nothing extraordinary like super extraordinary in terms of grades, like nothing mm -hmm. extraordinary. Um, and I remember at one point I had an English teacher tell me that I should probably consider college. And that really broke my heart because first of all, she had said in front of my parents, which was humiliating. And secondly, um, you know, it had always been my dream. And I was like, no, I'm just not getting the right supports here. This is, no, this is not right. What you're saying is not right. Like I know myself. Uh, so I remember I like went home and I cried quite a bit. Um, and I just, I promised myself, I told, I told myself, I was like, no, you're going to, you're going to prove her wrong. Some way, somehow you're going to prove this teacher wrong uh, who said that to you. And I basically made it my, 
like 16 year old vendetta to prove her wrong and to not only like get into the university of toronto but to prove them wrong so i worked very very hard to not only pull my grade up in her class but like pull my grades up in, in other classes and whatnot and i just kind of kept at it but throughout the course of pulling my grades up from grade 11 and 12 i slowly started to realize i was like maybe the hard sciences i have an appreciation i have a love for them but maybe it's not necessarily 100 percent for me and that's when um as 10 kind of went on, I got accepted into the University of Toronto by the Scarborough campus. And when I saw they had a health studies program, which was more comprehensive than the downtown health studies program. Again, the kind of second major I had in my mind. They had a population health, they had um, health policy and the anthropology department at the time, both the evolutionary one and the evolutionary branch and the culture, sociocultural one uh, were all under the health studies department. It's all one at the time. And I remember kind of looking through the evolutionary anthropology side and looking at things like pandemic data, which is so relevant in today's day, especially up past these past three years, things like that, looking at like disease outbreaks and things like that. And like, wait, there is a science that's for me. It's this, you know, it's that like evolutionary anthropology, epidemiology side where you, instead of learning of, um, super in-depth of what certain diseases or how cells replicate and things like that, you learn the impact um, a disease pandemic may have on a population or uh, even very like health promotion type science, like eat healthy, exercise, things like that. So I was like, wow, there's a science for this. And I felt very awakened when I had discovered that. So um, it kind of really worked out where I got accepted into the University of Toronto Scarborough. And because they don't make you declare your major in your first year and you can technically like mess around with anything like any courses you want and then later on you declare your major i ended up fulfilling my dreams of going into health studies but again at, at utsc they um subspecialize and they either call it population health or health policy so i call so i went for the health policy route because again i really wanted that policy background especially after seeing the michael Morsico film where he talks about like different healthcare systems around the world and kind of just realizing myself, I was like, wow, I'm so a fortunate to be Canadian. And B, I'm so glad, you know, when my parents did immigrate, they chose Canada as opposed to the U.S. or else I don't know where I'd be today. I'm being very honest. Um, so that kind of film really did pique my interest in health policy. So I kind of went that route. And then the evolutionary anthropology kind of came from, hey, maybe the hard sciences, like the cell replication sciences, are in front of Maybe I want to go more public health sciences, more epidemiology, more population impact um so yeah uh, a little bit of losing myself advocacy skills but and in the process finding myself and finding what i like the most uh, academically yeah and what speaks to me about that journey is a little bit of how kind of the the, the universe conspires in your favor and sometimes the goals that you achieve are done in a slightly different way than, than you expect, where sometimes the things that uh, you you want happen differently. So the, uh, call it wake up call that the teacher had to say, oh, you might have to go to college. It's like, wait, no, I have a goal to go to U of T. This is one of my hopes and dreams. And there's nothing wrong with going to college for those of you out there that are considering that path. But if that's not part of your traditional dreams, then you don't necessarily have to take that plan B. What you can do is evaluate and say, okay, how can I do this differently? What is not necessarily my, my plan B, but what is my plan A2, A3, A4, A5, right? In order to still get to where I want, but in a slightly different flavor. And uh, sometimes like serendipity uh, 
takes form where, uh, like like you said, you, you grew up in, in Canada versus the U.S., which obviously was, was a great thing. And the, the other aspect, which we'll probably get to in a little bit, is you take a, a degree in anthropology, epidemiology, and you're like, what would anybody do with any of this stuff? And then what would have been kind of like a really challenging time for the world, aka COVID, <laughs> that is kind of the exact thing <laughs> that people need um, for, for, for that one. So um, c- can you tell us a little bit about like how uh, that challenging world event uh, actually helped you in terms from from a career path perspective. Yeah, so I remember when I would tell people um, what I was studying, like some people had no idea what the heck I was doing. I remember even my parents were a little concerned, especially when you look at the concept context of Toronto and you see that. Uh, really public health uh, um, as an organization, as an institution. Uh, and when I say public health, I'm specifically referring to like the modern disease outbreaks. Uh, it really got revived after SARS. So, you know, the ancestral lineage of COVID. Uh, uh, so it really got revived in Toronto after SARS. And so my parents are like, wait, SARS is over. What happened? Like, why are you studying this? Like, what are you doing? And so they were a little concerned, but thankfully I because of my volunteer experience at Women's College Hospital and things of that nature throughout under, my undergraduate degree. And I was then part of a co-op program. So I always had little jobs on campus to really fill up my resume and to just gain skills until I could find something in my field. Lo and behold, 2020 rolls around and we all know what happened there. COVID, um, you know, which does stem from the SARS lineage. So that that was, um, that's so ironic. Anyways, so um, I remember just, I was like, this is my time to shine. Like, you know, epidemiology, we need those people right now. Uh, health policy, well, we kind of need people for that right now to, like, figure out what kind of laws to pass and what and all that. Uh, so I remember for the first little while, um, I did have to finish up school, so I couldn't really take on any job. But after I was finished uh, um, and after applying for a few months, I finally got a job as a COVID screener uh, at, in downtown Toronto at one of the hospitals. And I was there for about, I think, close to six months as well until I hopped over to Ontario Health just because um, I had applied for graduate studies and a lot of the COVID funding was starting to like kind of dwindle down at that moment. So I was like, mm-hmm. let me try to find something a little more full time. And um, and I was really scared I wouldn't get into graduate studies. So I just thought better safe than sorry. Uh, but I will say the the COVID pandemic was pretty instrumental in me getting my foot in the door because it allowed me to ha- become a COVID screener and get that kind of customer service, one-on-one patient experience, all that, at which helped me seamlessly translate and uh, like those skills translated well when I transitioned to Ontario Health. Uh, so that was, um, yeah, again, the universe very much conspiring in your favor. Uh, obviously, COVID. I will say, especially at the beginning when I was finishing up school, was very difficult, especially going from, you know, busy campus life to suddenly being at home all the time. So I think we all had very positive and negative, but some more than others experiences uh, throughout COVID. But yeah, it definitely helped me with an entry level job. I will say that, especially with my background, uh, my academic background. Yeah, again, it's it's one of those things where sometimes a, a very challenging thing, it, it, it helps certain people or a different way. And it's really often the meaning that you make from it or what you can take, the lessons that you learn and, and um, kind of build off of it in order to build that life that, that you want, right? So you you were kind of saying, well, or your, your friends and family were like, what is this? 
thing that you're doing because nobody needs it. And well, sometimes uh, a global pandemic will <laughs> show you why, why it's needed. Um, and I love you shared a little bit because I know you did some uh, exchanges to, to different areas and um, that was obviously pre, pre-COVID uh, along there, but but you probably had some uh, interesting lessons uh, learned during that time. So if you could describe a little bit about uh, your uh, venturing off into doing terms elsewhere, especially given that you have like a, a chronic disease and then some challenges there, like how was that thought process uh, in, in take, undertaking those challenges? Yeah, so the first one I'm going to speak of is when I studied abroad in Portugal, just for context and in Portuguese. So um, for the longest time, even when I was in high school, like I said, very self-determined child, I wanted to do the summer abroad program. I somehow had stumbled on the summer abroad program. I was in the 11th grade. I don't know how this happened, but it did. And I always wanted to, I was always saying, oh, if I go to U of T, I'm going to take the summer abroad program, the Spanish uh, program, because at the time they didn't have a Portuguese one. And I figured Spanish is very close to Portuguese. Bada bing, bada boom, easy, easy A for me. And so for the longest time, I was like, I'm going to do the Spanish program. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. Until one day I was um, at my job. Technically, I was on my co-op term at that point. And so I was working um, for the Ontario government. And uh, I was just at the office and I was about to go to lunch. And I see something pop up in my inbox. And I had signed up for the newsletters that uh, Summer Abroad gives out. And it said that they were offering a Portugal program for the first time that year. And I was like, uh, this is a very tempting offer. Uh, they didn't necessarily invite me. It was just, you know, promotional. It was just promo for the program. But I was like, you know, I've always said I was going to do the Spain program. And I've always, in the same breath, complained about there never being a Portugal program. Time to put my money where my mouth is, if I can afford this. Uh, uh, let's see. And so I started looking into the price of it, uh, how much it would cost. Uh, I also started looking into my schedule. Thankfully, I was able to complete my co-op term and not have any conflicts because it wasn't the summer. So I had to see if I had to take another co-op term. I did not. Uh, so things like that. And so I started not only putting together my application, but... Um, also started talking to my parents about it because they needed to know and seeing if they could help me or not or whatnot and trying to apply for other uh, scholarships to try to ease the financial burden. Granted, I will say um, it is one of the quote-unquote cheaper programs, at least in 2018 it was. Um, out of all the other ones, I know the United Kingdom to go to Oxford, it's about $10,000. Portugal by comparison is 3000 still quite a bit of money and i do fully recognize that but it's much better than 10 you know a few more thousand dollars so uh, so i start putting my application together i start speaking to my parents about this i start informing myself because i am portuguese so i was trying to see if i could maybe live off campus just because of my chronic illness it's just easier for me uh to an extent to have that kind of independence so i start looking into all these things uh, and so the boat's kind of sailing along all that until I actually get um, a pretty devastating diagnosis, uh, um, which thankfully has resolved itself now. But at the time, it kind of felt like the end of the world. Uh, so the doctor kind of tells me, hey, you know, we found we found this discovery and it might mean like potential surgery in the future. And I was very much heartbroken mm. and it was about two weeks left to this program. Uh, like I had two weeks until I needed to leave the country to go 
study abroad in Portugal at the University of Lisbon. So I was heartbroken. I remember I spent about two hours on the hospital lobby crying my eyes out because I thought, how the heck am I going to do this? Um, but through a little bit of just working with my healthcare team and whatnot, I kind of we not only established some sort of like dietary plan for me, but it also worked out in the previous months that I was going to live off campus. It was just easier for me. And I got very lucky too, because majority of the co-ed um, like residences were across the April 25th um, bridge, which if you look it up, it kind of looks like the San Francisco Golden Fleet okay. Bridge. So don't get confused. Uh, so it was across the bridge. So it was always a pain for all the students to come across the bridge, especially early in the morning because of all the traffic. So it really worked out in my favor that I ended up just staying in Lisbon instead of going, you know, across the bridge and then having to come back and all that. So that worked out really well. So again, the universe kind of conspiring like, hey, you know, you may have gotten like a really bad diagnosis. You may already have a chronic illness. It's okay. You're going to stay. You're not going to have to deal with the April 25th bridge during rush hour you'll be okay um so i was able to get housing off campus which ended up being a little bit cheaper and it knocked off a little bit of the cost the three thousand dollar cost so that was really great Uh, overall i ended up having a great experience and because i was in my home country uh, i say home i was not foreign there but i still very much identify as portuguese so it is what it is but because i know portuguese like culinary quite well i was able to pick out certain foods for a while that would actually not only nourish me and sustain me but when piss off my diagnosis which ended up working out kind of in the end because i ended up having a good prognosis from it so it does not bother me to that diagnosis does not bother me today at all so honestly in a weird way that um studying abroad in portugal actually almost healed me or helped me out as well i think also being next to the river and just being on vacation while being in school was the best feeling ever and also you know uh U of T does require breath courses. So I needed like some sort of like humanities language course to fill that. So that Portuguese class filled that perfect, perfectly well. Overall, I had such a great experience there. Uh, one kind of funny side story was when I initially done the exam, I am very technologically illiterate for Gen Z. So I used to know how to add like accent marks on letters, uh, like through the keyboard but I had forgotten it. And so when I wrote the exam online, uh, a lot of words did not get accent marks. So they immediately put me in mumble too. I got there, started speaking. They're just like, oh, you just don't know how to put accent marks on the computer, but you're actually very fluent, yet you're going up to level three. So the only downside there was I kind of had to work a little harder uh, when I got put into level three. I was like, I actually have to try now. But it ended up working out really well, um, and I really loved my professor. He was great, uh, so I really can't even complain. Um, e- even the extra little challenge, like linguistic challenge I got, was absolutely wonderful. So yeah, that was my main one, especially pre-COVID, because I did one during COVID um, at the University of Quebec at Chicoutimi, um, but that was during COVID, so it was mostly online. But overall, I did enjoy that one as well. So it sounds like, uh, again, a series of unfortunate events that turned into very fortunate events uh, in hindsight. So oftentimes, again, those lemons get turned to lemonade and, and then uh, it becomes uh, pretty fortunate in terms of uh, being healed or, or having all these amazing, great experiences. And saving a little money along the way is probably not a, a bad thing to 
And that uh, kind of brings us back to, to, to present day where, where now you're completing your master's and you mentioned the e EMR uh, interoperability, but I'd love if you went back and shared any more swipe, the stuff I wish I knew earlier for anything that uh, you want to emphasize, because I know you've already shared a, a bunch or maybe any that uh, you haven't actually mentioned. So what, what is some things that you share with young Cindy, I guess, grade school, high school, university, masters or otherwise uh, that you'd want to share with folks uh, listening? Uh, first and foremost, just because it seems like the end of the world now doesn't mean it is. Like you don't know what the future holds. It's completely normal and valid to be worried, but just be surprised on how crazy your life can get in like the most serendipitous universe conspiring with you type of way. Just, you know, stay as positive as you can, which is something I've honestly struggled with my, most of my life, but stay as positive as you can. You know, just recognize what is and isn't in your control. And that's the second thing I would tell myself is like, know what is and isn't in your control. You can't always control what something is, nor can you always control the outcome. But the best thing you can do is just control the now and the why and right. what you're doing to kind of achieve a certain goal. And that's all that matters. I think the third thing I tell myself, especially high school Cindy, is, hey, that like slight itch that you have for health policy and wanting to do a double major and having the second one be health studies lean into that lean into it just because you know your english teacher told you that you maybe can't go to university because your writing skills weren't there at the time it's probably because of the lack of support you're you're a fantastic speaker you have great thoughts you have great ideas you have great opinions lean into it and i think it doesn't matter what path you try to go down whether it's college university trade school doesn't matter what someone says to you Maybe sometimes ignore them, you know, like, or use that as kind of a fire to kind of uh, fuel yourself. And that is something that fueled me for a long time was that comment from that teacher and just saying like, hey, maybe you should try something else. It's like, no, I know what my dreams are. I know. I know what I'm capable of. So, you know, instead of um, kind of letting yourself get knocked down, pick yourself right back up. And I think that's the last thing I would tell myself. It's that old saying of fall seven times, get up eight. You know, right. just you're always going to fall down, get up again. It's hard. It gets harder. I'm not going to lie. It gets sometimes it gets harder to get back up, but it's it's your only option because what yeah. is your other option? Staying down? You you can't. You can't because then you let others win. You let others determine the life or the dreams that you have. And that's just not acceptable. In my opinion, not an acceptable outcome for me. Yeah. I mean, everyone has to follow their own path. But what I took from that is if you have kind of these these itches, these dreams, these goals, right? And that uh, you want to lean into it. And sometimes it's just the universe testing you. Like, do you want it bad enough, right? So I'll, I'll tell you, well, you're not going to go here. All right, then you can prove them otherwise. I like what you said about um, figuring out what you can control. So I, I'm an advocate of controlling the controllable, right? So, and oftentimes the big challenge is uh, understanding the difference, like what can you actually control <laughs> versus what what isn't in your control, right? Um, and what you said about being positive, I'd, I'd actually like to change that and say, instead of necessarily being positive, because sometimes things are crap, it's not a great time or whatever, but what you want to do is be optimistic and say, you know what, and it can get better and I can make the most of the situation. It seems like you did that multiple times. Um, so things happen to you. So what? Now what? Right. What do I do yeah. as a matter of it? Right. You can't change what happened or what is happening, but you can change what you do with it and, and how you react and overcome it. So. I think that's a lot of uh, great lessons learned. And thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing your journey. And I love it if you share with the folks a little bit about your 
uh, future aspirations, what you're looking to get into in the next little while and where folks can contact you. I know for aspirations, you mentioned that, that you're doing a bit of a fundraiser. So if you want to talk a little bit about that and then any other things and, and how they can reach out to you and find out more. Yeah. So um, currently, like I said, I'm a master's student. Um, I work in a couple of different research jobs at the moment, but I'm also currently doing a fundraiser for sick kids. As I've mentioned, it's basically my second home and it was my second home as a child. So I grew up there. Uh, I was very much a sick kids kid right until I was 18 because boy, did I not want to let go. It was very emotional my last day of it, but um, you know, very much a graduation that was needed because I needed to graduate into um, adult care and whatnot. But um, part of the reason I wanted to give back was because I went through a very devastating health moment uh, when I was about 13 years old, which on- honestly did also end up impacting my Portugal summer abroad. Long story short, growing up on top of dealing with regular school and um, and my chronic illness and all the advocacy I had to do, I also went to Saturday Portuguese school. And uh, after that devastating health episode that I had when I was about 13, um, I kind of had to quit Portuguese school as you know, it was just too much for me at that point. So uh, again, back to the universe kind of conspiring. I ended up finishing up the rest of my Portuguese school in that summer abroad program uh, in Portugal when I got put into level three. So that was, again, a very full circle moment in my life. And so kind of in honor of that health episode, I started a fundraiser this year um, at the 13-year mark because I was 13 when it happened. Um, and so... Yeah, I currently have a fundraiser for sick kids. Uh, if anyone would like to donate, um, I'm sure we'll have the link in um, the description, uh, and I'll I will provide the link as well. And my goal is to hopefully get twenty five thousand dollars. But I did have it. I do have it running for about thirteen years. Again, very symbolic uh, to try to see if I can hit the twenty five thousand dollars because at that point, that's when you get your name on the plaque, and I. It is very much an objective of mine. I do want it to be another full circle moment as much as I can, as much as it can be. But I also want to say thank you to all the people who have donated so far. I'm very appreciative. Um, and, you know, if anyone would like to donate, I would be very much overjoyed and very grateful. Sounds good. So we'll put those links in the show notes and, and definitely information about uh, connecting with you, let's say, on, on LinkedIn as well. So thank you so much. Cindy, for uh, sharing your story, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back in a future episode. Thank you. Yeah, and if you want, you can find me on LinkedIn mostly. The rest of my social media is pretty private, uh, but I will also be providing my LinkedIn if anyone would like to connect with me. And thank you, Luki. I look forward to being back on the podcast. Sounds good. Thanks, Cindy. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.